Jamie Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. 94FM The Fish, I'm Doug, taking an opportunity to catch up with Mitch Album. Going to be talking about two very incredible books. Uh, Mitch is a best-selling author. Maybe you're familiar with the best-selling memoir of all time. He wrote it, Tuesdays with Maury, five consecutive number ones on the New York Times bestseller list, collectively selling more than 33 million copies in 42 languages worldwide. In addition to that, he's founded six charities in and around Detroit, including the first-ever 24-hour medical clinic for homeless kiddos in America. And he operates an orphanage in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Welcome, Mitch Album. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Doug. Good to be with you. Well, we've got two books to talk about, uh, The Stranger in the Lifeboat that I want to get to in a moment. But I'd love to talk about Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake, and the Making of a Family. I'm told this is your most personal book. Talk about Chica. Yeah, that's a Finding Chica is a true story uh, about a little girl who we adopted from our orphanage in Haiti. So I've been in Haiti since 2010 earthquake, and I'm there every month. I run an orphanage there for 53 kids. And Chica was uh, a little girl who actually was born three days before the earthquake and survived it uh, when she was three days old when the house that she was in collapsed around her, but she, she managed to live through it. And two years later, she lost her mother when uh, she died giving birth to a baby brother. And she was taken away and brought to our orphanage. And uh, for a few years, she was the loudest, funniest, pushiest little girl that we had. (laughs) And then at age five, she uh, developed a brain tumor. And we brought her to America thinking that, well, all right, American medicine will take care of it and have her back in no time. And she actually never went home. And we ended up adopting her. And we traveled around the world for two years trying to find a cure for this uh, incurable brain tumor that she had. And in the end, while we didn't find a cure, we found something uh, equally important in life. We found a family, my wife and and myself and little Chica. And Finding Chica is a story about that sort of very unlikely family. We were already in our 50s and, you know, not not the normal age when you suddenly have a (laughs) five-year-old sleeping at the foot of your bed and waking you up for breakfast and all that. And, of course, she didn't look like us or talk like us or have our DNA or anything, but we couldn't have loved her more than if she was our own daughter. And, and Finding Chica is kind of the account of, of those incredible couple of years. Wow. Wow. What, what what was that like to be a father in that moment and that stage of life? Well, uh, it was like a crash course, basically, in fatherhood, because uh, you had to become a father and, 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 and be protecting her health and trying to keep her alive at the same time. Mm. You know, most fathers are, are blessed to just enjoy the experience and not have to worry about their child dying at any minute. Uh, so it was very intense. Uh, but, you know, I really learned what was critical in life. And there was a time where when Chica couldn't walk anymore towards the end of her life, I had to carry her from place to place. And um, one time we were sitting and, and coloring and, and I popped up. I said, oh, Chica, I'm late for work. I got to go. And she said, no, Mr. Mitch, stay in color with me. I said, well, I have to work. And she said, Mr. Mitch, I have to play. And I said, well, it's not, not the same thing. You know, uh, I, this is my job. 
And she crossed her arms and she made a little pouty face. And she said, no, it isn't. Your job is carrying me. And, uh, you know, it was one of those sentences that really floored me because not only was it funny, but it was so dead right that, you know, of course my job was to carry her physically as well as all the other ways. And it's our job to carry all the children of the world if we have the means, you know, the children who are forgotten and abandoned and left to, left to die in some cases, like some of our kids in Haiti. And so um, I think what she taught me the most is about what you carry in your life, you know, and, and instead of carrying my books and my work and my money and my notoriety and all that, I had to drop all that to carry her for two years. And, and uh, it was the most honorable, uh, best burden that I could have asked for. Wow. Wow. What what was it about her that that uh, caused you and your wife to to adopt her? I mean, you, you're you're running this orphanage. You have a bunch of kiddos. What what made her special? Well, I, I mean, she was an incredible personality and she was incredibly funny and sang all the time and, and would sing. And then you try to sing with her and she'd put her hand over your mouth and say, <laughs> you know, basically, um, this is a solo act, kid, you know, but but. It wasn't her personality or her sweetness or her intelligence or anything that made us adopt her. It was the need. I mean, she didn't have anybody else. Mm. There wasn't anybody else in her life who was going to take care of her. When a five-year-old gets a brain tumor, uh, it's not like you can just turn her over to somebody. And so, you know, we were sort of a, uh, you know, unusual circumstance formed family uh, under the most dire of conditions. But yet, when somebody needs you, you love them even more than you can imagine. And of course, she needed us, and in the end, we found out we needed her too. Wow what What is your hope uh, for for folks that read this book? What would you uh, hope that they would be able to take away from the story? Um, well, first of all, it's not a sad or horrific kind of thing where, oh gosh, you know, I don't want to read it because she's going to die in the end. You know, at the very first page that she died, and in fact. The story is told that she comes back and visits me, you know, after she's gone, and she's asking me what I'm writing, and I say I'm working on a book. She said, well, why don't you write a book about me, you know, which is exactly something she would say. And so the whole book is me sort of talking to her and remembering the whole two years or actually her whole life with us. So it's not scary in any way, and it doesn't make you uh, abjectly sad. Uh, what I want people to take away from it is that there's lots of ways to make a family. You know, there's the traditional way. There's the adopted way, foster way, you know, old, old parents with young kids, you know, uh, many, many different ways to make a family, but there's no wrong way. And that, you know, you don't lose a child, you're given a child. For however long you may be blessed to have that child in your life. And we had two years, and that might seem like nothing, but then there are parents out there who have had six months and six weeks and mm. six minutes. Mm. And, uh, you know, to just cherish every moment that you have with the blessing of a child in your life. Wow. Wow. That is powerful. I, I could see this on the big screen. Is there any, uh, <laughs> is there any thoughts of that? This is a story everybody needs to see. Um, yeah, there's, you know, <laughs> there's always people purchasing options to make books into movies. And I've been blessed to have, have that happen on all my books, but until you actually are sitting with popcorn in your lap or whatever, <laughs> I always say, well, it's just in the process. It's in the process. So, We'll say we'll leave it at that. Moving on to uh, the other book, your novel, "The Stranger in the Lifeboat." Um, I- I've just had a chance to sort of glance over some of the background of this. Uh, what was the inspiration for this novel? 
Well, this is this is my new book, and it just came out uh, less than a month ago. And in many ways, this is sort of a uh, a bookend book to Finding Chica, which was a true story. This is a novel. Finding Chica, I wrote when I was in a lot of pain, you know, having just lost our little girl. And this book, which I wrote a few years later, I would say I wrote sort of in the healing phase. Mm. And so I wanted to explore the idea of help. You know, when we when we cry out for help and ask for help from God and from the universe and and so I created this story where uh, it begins with this really uh, rich luxury yacht owned by one of the richest men in the world, and he invites all of his rich friends on it for a week-long soiree. And the night before they're supposed to return, it, it explodes. It blows up in the uh, in the middle of the ocean, and uh, everybody's killed except ten people, five of whom are the rich guests and five of whom are staff members who work for them. Mm-hmm. And they find their way into a lifeboat, and they're out in this lifeboat for... Uh, three days without anybody coming for them. And they're running out of food, running out of water. They see sharks in the ocean. And, you know, they're crying out in their own individual ways. And then suddenly they see this body floating in the water. And they pull it into the raft, and it's this young guy, very nondescript, average-looking guy, and they pepper him with questions, and he doesn't say anything. And finally, one of the passengers says, well, thank the Lord we found you. And he says, I am the Lord. Mm. And that that that's that begins the book, and uh, it's a, you know it's sort of a parable about uh, what happens when we call out for help, but it and it comes, but it's not in the form that we thought. You know, it doesn't look like or what you know sound like what we expected. Do we still believe? You know, and it occurs to me that when we ask for help in this world uh, from God or from whatever you believe in, you know, we kind of want it like we're ordering a deli sandwich. <laughs> like we want we, we we want it. We want to know what it looks like, what it tastes like, and we want it in five minutes. And if it doesn't come that way, then we feel, oh, well, we've been ignored. You know, our prayers haven't been answered. But in point of fact, you know, God doesn't work on our timetable. And sometimes things take a long time, and sometimes they come in different forms. We, my wife and I, when we got married, we we prayed to have children. We got married kind of late in life, and it didn't happen for us. And it would be easy to say, well, okay, we were just ignored. Our prayers weren't answered. But then 16 years later, when we least expected it, suddenly, as I mentioned to you, we had a five-year-old suddenly living at the foot of our bed. And for two years, we were every bit of family. And so maybe that was the answer to our prayer that came, you know, 16 years later in a much different form than we expected. And so Stranger in the Lifeboat kind of explores all that. And as things get tougher on the boat and the days pass and storms come and sharks attack and all these kinds of things that happen when you're lost at sea, you know, some of the people start to think, well, hey, maybe maybe uh, this guy's not wrong. And, and they say to him, are you going to save us? And he says, well, I can only save you if everyone in the boat believes I am who I say I am at the same time. And of course, that's a big challenge, because one to ten people ever agree on anything. <laughs> so, um, you know, I explore a lot of questions, Doug, that we would ask uh, God if we had the chance, you know, and, and they come in the mouths of the passengers in this boat. Wow, I'm fascinated. I'm I'm curious when you talk about healing. Interesting how the two of these stories come together. Can you talk a little bit about some of the healing that you experienced by by writing this and and getting those thoughts out? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll give you one example. Um, you know, there's a point in the story where uh, one of the passengers who was mourning his his wife who who died, you know, a couple years ago, and he's never been the same. And he sort of breaks down in front of this God character, you know, uh, and says, well, if you are who you say you are, you know, 
why did my wife have to die? Why did you take my wife? You know, and he's crying. And the answer comes that, you know, well, when people on earth die, the, their loved ones always say, why did God take them? Maybe a better question would be, uh, why did God give them to us? You know, what did we do to warrant or merit their love and their affection and their sweet memories? Didn't you have that with your wife? And he said, uh, yeah, every day. Well, the, the God character says those memories are a gift, but their absence is not a punishment. I'm not cruel. Uh, I know that when you lose your loved ones here on earth, you cry, but I can assure you they're not crying. And for me, you know, I wrote that as much for myself as I did for any reader who's reading it, because that's kind of the attitude I had to take about losing Chica, you know, was like, well, Maybe I should look at it as like, what did we do to deserve her, even for those two years? You know, or who are we at the mid-50s to expect mm. to have the joy of a child in our lives? But we did. And, and if you tend to look at things more as like, well, what a gift it was to have for the time that I had them, it's a little less painful when you lose them, instead of always saying, why are they gone? Why, did it, why was it taken? Why was it taken? So there's one example of how, you know, sort of, what I wrote in the story, which I hope is helpful to other people who have experienced loss, but for me was was kind of a, a healing thing to be able to write. Even just to be able to sit and write those words means you've reached a certain point in your life that you have come to accept certain things. Wow, wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm speechless because I'm already saying, okay, I'm, I'm snipping this off. I'm sending it to my wife as she's grieving the loss of a family member last week. And... Uh, mm. Yeah, God works in mysterious ways. That's very powerful, Mitch. I appreciate that. Mm. Well, maybe that's why I was on your show. You never know. You never know. You never know. That's awesome. Well, as we wrap up, any final thoughts? Well, only that, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in Haiti every month uh, for the last 12 years. And we have 53 beautiful kids that we help raise there. And now, you know, a number of them are at college age and they're, they're up here going to college. All of our kids have college scholarships waiting for them, and uh, I've learned quite a bit from being amongst them, particularly about faith, you know, because these are kids who in many cases have nothing that come to us with nothing. They have no background in some cases, no no birth certificate or, or, or even official existence on paper, and yet they are so uh, faithful, and they pray with such fervency, and, and they're always so grateful to God and always saying prayers about how much they thank God for what they have, even though everything they have can fit inside a 12-inch by 12-inch cubby. And there's a a lot to learn from the faith of children, and I tried to incorporate that into The Stranger in the Lifeboat. One of of the passengers is an eight-year-old girl, and, you know, I don't want to tip tip the story. You have to get the book and read it, but she plays a significant role in it, too. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot to learn from... from, uh, people who have less than us and people who are younger than us. I'm Jamie Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. 